From the best chair in the room of ornaments, a large grey cat watched Tiffany with a half-open eye that glinted with absolute evil. Nanny had referred to him as Grebo. Don't mind him, he's just a big old softy, which Tiffany knew well enough to interpret as he'll have his claws in your leg if you go anywhere near him. Tiffany talked as she hadn't talked to anyone before. It must be a kind of magic, her third thoughts concluded. Witches soon picked up ways of controlling people with their voices, but Nanny Og listened at you. This lad Roland, who is not your young man, said Nanny when Tiffany had paused for breath. Thinking of marrying him, are you? Don't lie, her third thoughts insisted. I, well, your mind comes up with all kinds of things when you're not paying attention, doesn't it, said Tiffany. It's not like thinking. Anyway, all the other boys I've met just stare at their stupid feet. Petulia says it's because of the hat. Well, taking it off helps, said Nanny Og. Mind you, so did a low-cut bodice when I was a girl. Stopped them looking at their stupid feet, I don't mind telling you. Tiffany saw the dark eyes locked onto her. She burst out laughing. Mrs. Ogg's face broke into a huge grin that should have been locked up for sake of public decency, and for some reason Tiffany felt a lot better. She'd passed some kind of test. Mind you, that probably wouldn't work with a wintersmith, of course, said Nanny, and the gloom came down again. I didn't mind the snowflakes, said Tiffany, but the iceberg, I think that was a bit much. Showing off in front of the girls, said Nanny, puffing at her hedgehog pipe. Yes, they do that. But he can kill people. He's winter. It's what he does. But I reckon he's in a bit of a tizzy, because he's never been in love with a human before. In love? Well, he probably thinks he is. Once again the eyes watched her carefully. He's an elemental, and they're simple, really, Nanny Og went on. But he's trying to be human, and that's complicated. We're packed with stuff he doesn't understand. Can't understand, really. Anger, for example. A blizzard is never angry. The storm don't hate the people who die in it. The wind is never cruel. But the more he thinks about you, the more he's having to deal with feelings like this. And there's none can teach him. He's not very clever. He's never had to be. And the interesting thing is that you are changing too. There was a knocking at the door. Nanny Og got up and opened it. Granny Weatherwax was there, with Miss Tick peering over her shoulder. "'Blessings be upon this house,' said Granny, but in a voice that suggested that if blessings needed to be taken away, she could do that too. "'Quite probably,' said Nanny Og. "'It's ped fecundis, then,' Granny nodded at Tiffany. "'Looks like a bad case. The floorboards started growing after she walked over them in bare feet.' "'Ha! Have you given her anything for it?' said Granny. "'I prescribed a pair of slippers.' "'I really don't see how—' Avatarization can be taking place, not when we're talking about elementals. It makes no... Miss Tick began. Do stop wittering, Miss Tick, said Granny Weatherwax. I notices you witter when things goes wrong, and it is not being a help. I don't want to worry the child, that's all, said Miss Tick. She took Tiffany's hand, patted it, and said, Don't you worry, Tiffany. We'll... She's a witch, said Granny sternly. We just have to tell her the truth. You think I'm turning into a... A goddess, said Tiffany. It was worth it to see their faces. The only mouth not in an O was the one belonging to Granny Weatherwax, which was smirking. She looked like someone whose dog has just done a rather good trick. How did you work that out? Granny asked. Dr. Bustle had a guess. Avatar, an incarnation of a god. But I'm not going to tell you that, Tiffany thought. Well, am I? she said. Yes, said Granny Weatherwax. 
the Wintersmith thinks you are. Oh, she's got a lot of names. The Lady of the Flowers is a nice one, or the Summer Lady. She makes the summertime, just like he makes the winter. He thinks you're her. All right, said Tiffany, but we know he's wrong, don't we? Er, not quite as wrong as we'd like, said Miss Tick. Most of the Feagles had camped out in Nanny Og's barn, where they were holding a council of war, except that it was about something that isn't quite the same thing. What we've got here, Rob anybody pronounced, is a case of romance. What's that, Rob? asked a Feagle. Aye, is it like how we babbies are made? asked Daft Woolly. You told us about that last year. It was very interesting, although a bit far-fetched to my mind. No, exactly, said Rob anybody, and it's kinder hard to describe, but I reckon young Wintersmith wants to romance the big wee hag, and she doesna ken what to do about it. So it is like how babbies are made, said Daft Woolly. No, cause even beasties know that, but only people know about romancing, said Rob. When a bull coo meets a lady coo, he doesn't have to say, My heart goes bang, bang, bang when I see your wee face, cause it's kinda built into their heads. People have it more difficult. Romancing is very important, you can. Basically, it's a way the boy can get close to the girl without her attacking him and scratching his eyes out. I dunna see how we can teach her any of that stuff, said Slightly Mad Angus. The big wee hag reads books, said Rob anybody. When she sees a book, she just canna help herself. And I, he added proudly, have a plan. The Feagles relaxed. They always felt happier when Rob had a plan, especially since most plans of his boiled down to screaming and rushing at something. Tell us about the plan, Rob, said Big Yan. I'm glad you asked me, said Rob. The plan is, we'll find her a book about romancing. And how will we find this book, Rob? asked Billy Bigchin uncertainly. He was a loyal Gonagall, but he was also bright enough to get nervous whenever Rob anybody had a plan. Rob anybody airily waved a hand. Ah, he said, we can this trick. All we need is a big hat and coat and a coat hanger and a broom handle. Oh, aye, said Big Yan. Well, I'm not being doon in the knee again. With witches, everything is a test. That's why they've tested Tiffany's feet. I bet that I'm the only person in the world about to do this, she thought, as she lowered both her feet into a tray of soil that Nanny had hastily shoveled up. Granny Weatherwax and Miss Tick were both sitting on bare wooden chairs, despite the fact that the grey cat Grebo was occupying the whole of one big saggy armchair. You didn't want to wake up Grebo when he wanted to sleep. Can you feel anything? asked Miss Tick. It's a bit cold, that's all. Oh, something's happening. Green shoots appeared around her feet and grew quickly. Then they went white at the base and gently pushed Tiffany's feet aside as they began to swell. Onions, said Granny Weatherwax scornfully. Well, they were the only seeds I could find quickly, said Nanny Og, poking at the glistening white bulbs. Good size. Well done, Tiff. Granny looked shocked. You're not going to eat those, are you, Geetha? she said accusingly. You are, aren't you? You're going to eat them. Nanny Og, standing up with a bunch of onions in each pudgy hand, looked guilty, but only for a moment. Why not? she said stoutly. Fresh vegetables are not to be sneezed at in the winter. And anyway, her feet are nice and clean. It's not seemly, said Miss Tick. It didn't hurt, said Tiffany. All I had to do was put my feet on the tray for a moment. 
Yes, he says it didn't hurt, Nanny Og insisted. Now I think I might have some old carrot seeds in the kitchen drawer. She saw the expressions on the faces of the others. All right, all right, then. There's no need to look like that, she said. I was just trying to point out the silver lining, that's all. Someone, please tell me what is happening to me, Tiffany wailed. Miss Tick is going to give you the answer in some long words, said Granny, but they boils down to this. It's the story happening. It's making you fit into itself. Tiffany tried not to look like someone who didn't understand a word that she had just heard. I could do with a little bit of the fine detail, I think, she said. I think I'll get some tea brewed, said Nanny Og. Chapter 7 On with the Dance The wintersmith and the summer lady danced. The dance never ended. Winter never dies, not as people die. It hangs on in late frost and the smell of autumn in a summer evening, and in the heat it flees to the mountains. Summer never dies. It sinks into the ground. In the depths, winter buds form in sheltered places and white shoots creep under dead leaves. Some of it flees into the deepest, hottest deserts, where there is a summer that never ends. To animals, they were just the weather, just part of everything. But humans arose and gave them names, just as people filled the starry sky with heroes and monsters, because this turned them into stories. And humans loved stories, because once you turned things into stories, you could change the stories. And there was the problem right there. Now the lady and the wintersmith danced around the year, changing places in the spring and autumn, and it had worked for thousands of years, right up until the time a girl couldn't control her feet and had arrived in the dance at exactly the wrong time. But the story had life too. It was like a play now. It would roll on around the year, and if one of the players wasn't the real actress, but just some girl who'd wandered onto the stage, well, that was too bad. She'd have to wear the costume and speak the lines and hope that there was going to be a happy ending. Change the story, even if you don't mean to, and the story changes you. Miss Tick used a lot more words than this, like anthropomorphic personification, but this was what ended up in Tiffany's head. So, I'm not a goddess, she said. Oh, I wish I had a blackboard, Miss Tick sighed. They really don't survive the water, though, and of course the chalks get so soggy. What we think happened in the dance, Granny Weatherwax began in a loud voice, is that you and the summer lady got mixed up. Mixed up? You may have some of her talents. The myth of the summer lady says that flowers grow wherever she walks, said Granny Weatherwax. Where air? said Miss Tick primly. What? snapped Granny, who was now pacing up and down in front of the fire. It's, um, where air she walks, in fact, said Miss Tick. It's more poetical. Ha! Granny said. Poetry. Am I going to get into trouble about this? Tiffany wondered. And what about the real summer lady? Is she going to be angry? she asked. Granny Weatherwax stopped pacing and looked at Miss Tick, who said, Ah, yes, er, uh, we are exploring every possibility. That means we don't know, said Granny. That's the truth of it. This is about God, see? But yes, since you ask, they can be a bit touchy. I didn't see her in the dance, said Tiffany. Did you see the wintersmith? Well, no, said Tiffany. How could she describe that wonderful, endless, golden spinning moment? It went beyond bodies and thoughts. But it had sounded as though two people had said, Who are you? She pulled her boots back on. 
Uh, where is she now? she asked as she tied the laces. Perhaps she'd have to run. She's probably gone back underground for the winter. The summer lady doesn't walk above ground in winter. Up until now, said Nanny Og cheerfully. She seemed to be enjoying this. Ah, Mrs. Og has put her finger on the other problem, said Miss Tick. The, uh, Wintersmith and the summer lady are, um, that is, they've never... She looked imploringly at Nanny Og. They've never met except in the dance, said Nanny. But now here you are, and you feel like the summer lady to him, walking around as bold as brass in the winter time, so you might be, oh, how shall I put it? Exciting his romantic propensities, said Miss Tick quickly. I wasn't going to describe it quite like that, said Nanny Og. Yes, I suspects you weren't, said Granny. I suspects you was going to use language. Tiffany definitely heard the capital L, which entirely suggested that the language she was thinking of was not to be uttered in polite company. Nanny stood up and tried to look haughty, which is hard to do when you have a face like a happy apple. I was actually going to draw Tiff's attention to this, she said, taking an ornament off the crowded mantelpiece. It was a little house. Tiffany had glanced at it before. It had two little doorways at the front, and, at the moment, a tiny little wooden man with a top hat. It's called a weather house, Nanny said, handing it to Tiffany. I don't know how it works. There's a bit of special string or something, but there's a little wooden man who comes out if it's going to rain, and a little wooden woman who comes out when it's going to be sunny. But they're on a little pivoty thing, see? They can never be out at the same time, see? Never. And I can't help wondering, when the weather's changing, if the little man sees the little woman out of the corner of his eye and wonders... Is this about sex? asked Tiffany. Miss Tick looked at the ceiling. Granny Weatherwax cleared her throat. Nanny gave a huge laugh that would have embarrassed even the little wooden man. Sex? she said. Between summer and winter? Now there's a thought. Don't think it, said Granny Weatherwax sternly. She turned to Tiffany. He's fascinated by you, that's what it is. And we don't know how much the summer lady's power is in you. She might be quite weak. You'll have to be a summer in winter until winter ends shedded flatly. That's justice. No excuses. You made a choice. You get what you choose. Couldn't I just go and find her and say I'm sorry? Tiffany began. No. The old gods ain't big on sorry, said Granny, pacing up and down again. They know it's just a word. You know what I think, said Nanny. I think she's watching you, Tiff. She's saying to herself, who's this hoity-toity young madam stepping into my shoes? Well, let's make a walk a mile in her and see how she likes it. Mrs. Og may have something there, said Miss Tick, who was leafing through Chaffinch's mythology. The gods expect you to pay for your mistakes. Nanny Og patted Tiffany's hand. If she wants to see what you can do, show her what you can do, Tiff, eh? That's the way. Surprise her. You mean the summer lady, said Tiffany. Nanny winked. Oh, and the summer lady, too. There was what sounded very much like the start of a laugh from Miss Tick before Granny Weatherwax glared at her. Tiffany sighed. It was all very well to talk about choices but she had no choice here. All right, what else can I expect apart from, well, defeat? I'm, er, uh, checking, said Miss Tick, still thumbing through the book. Ah, it, it says here that she was, I mean is, fairer than all the stars in heaven. They all looked at Tiffany. You could try doing something with your air, said Nanny Og after a while. Like what, said Tiffany. Like anything, really. Apart from the feet and doing something with my hair, said Tiffany sharply, is there anything else? It says here, quoting a very old manuscript, she waketh the grasses in April and filleth the beehives with honey sweet, Miss Tick reported. How do I do that? I don't know, but I suspect that happens anyway, said Miss Tick. 
And the summer lady gets the credit? I think she just has to exist for it to happen, really, said Miss Tick. Anything else? Uh, yes, you have to make sure the winter ends, said Miss Tick. And, of course, deal with the wintersmith. And how do I do that? We think that you just have to be there, said Granny Weatherwax. Or perhaps you'll know what to do when the time comes. Meep. Beware, said Tiffany. Everywhere. Anywhere. Granny, your hat squeaked, said Tiffany. It went meep. No, it didn't, Granny said sharply. It did, you know, said Nanny Og. I heard it too. Granny Weatherwax grunted and pulled off her hat. The white kitten, curled around her tight bun of hair, blinked in the light. I can't help it, Granny muttered. If I leave the dratted thing alone, it goes under the dresser and cries and cries. She looked around at the others as if daring them to say anything. Anyway, she added, it keeps my head warm. On his chair, the yellow slit of Grebo's left eye opened lazily. Get down, you, said Granny, lifting the kitten off her head and putting it on the floor. I dare say Mrs. Og has got some milk in the kitchen. Not much, said Nanny. I swear someone's been drinking it. Grebo's eye opened all the way and he began to growl softly. You sure you know what you're doing, Esme? said Nanny Og, reaching for a cushion to throw. He's very protective of his territory. You, the kitten, sat on the floor and washed her ears. Then, as Grebo got to his feet, she fixed him with an innocent little stare and took a flying leap onto his nose, landing on it with all her claws out. So is she, said Granny Weatherwax, as Grebo erupted from the chair and hurtled around the room before disappearing into the kitchen. There was a crash of saucepans, followed by the groing of a saucepan lid spinning into silence on the floor. The kitten padded back into the room, hopped into the empty chair and curled up. He brought in half a wolf last week, said Nanny Og. You haven't been hexpedimenting on that poor kitten, have you? Hexpediment, to use magic just to see what happens. I wouldn't dream of such a thing, said Granny. She just knows her own mind, that's all. She turned to Tiffany. I don't reckon the wintersmith will be worrying about you too much for a while, she said. The big winter weather will be on us soon. That'll keep him busy. In the meantime, Mrs. Og will teach you things she knows. And Tiffany thought, I wonder how embarrassing this is going to be. Deep in the snow, in the middle of a wind-swept moorland, a small band of travelling librarians sat around their cooling stove and wondered what to burn next. Tiffany had never been able to find out much about the librarians. They were a bit like the wandering priests and teachers who went even into the smallest, loneliest villages to deliver those things, prayers, medicine, facts, that people could do without for weeks at a time, but sometimes needed a lot of all at once. The librarians would loan you a book for a penny, although they often would take food or good second-hand clothes. If you gave them a book, you got ten free loans. Sometimes you'd see two or three of their wagons parked in some clearing and you could smell the glues they boiled up to repair the oldest books. Some of the books they loaned were so old that the printing had been worn grey by the pressure of people's eyeballs reading it. The librarians were mysterious. It was said they could tell what book you needed just by looking at you, and they could take your voice away with a word. But here they were searching the shelves for T. H. Mouseholder's famous book, Survival in the Snow. Things were getting desperate. The oxen that pulled the wagon had broken their tethers and run off in the blizzard. The stove was nearly out, and worst of all, they were down to their last candles, which meant that soon they would not be able to read books. 
It says here, in K. Pierpoint Poundsworth's Among the Snow Weasels, that the members of the ill-fated expedition to Whale Bay survived by making soup of their own toes, said Deputy Librarian Grizzler. That's interesting, said Senior Librarian Swinsley, who was rummaging on the shelf below. Is there a, a recipe? No, but there may be something in Superflua Raven's book Cooking in Dire Straits. That's where we got yesterday's recipe for nourishing boiled socks surprise. There was a thunderous knocking at the door. It was a two-part door that allowed only the top half to be opened, so that a ledge on the bottom half could be a sort of small desk for stamping books. Snow came through the crack as the knocking continued. "'I hope that's not the wolves again,' said Mr. Grizzler. "'I got no sleep at all last night.' "'Do, do they knock? Uh, we could check in the Habits of Wolves by Captain W. E. Lightley,' said Senior Librarian Swinsley. "'Or perhaps you could just open the door.' "'Quickly! The candles are going out!' Grizzler opened the top half of the door. There was a tall figure on the steps, hard to see in the fitful, cloud-strained moonlight. "'I'm looking for romance!' it rumbled. The deputy librarian thought for a moment, and then said, "'Isn't it a bit chilly out there?' "'Aren't the other people wear all them books?' the figure demanded. "'Yes, indeed. Oh, romance! Yes, certainly!' said Mr. Swinsley, looking relieved. "'In that case, I think you'll want Miss Jenkins. Forward, please, Miss Jenkins.' "'It looks like yous is freezing in there,' said the figure. "'Them's icicles hanging from the ceiling.' "'Yes. However, we have managed to keep them off the books,' said Mr. Swinsley. "'Ah, Miss Jenkins, the um, gentleman is looking for romance. Your department, I think?' "'Yes, sir.' said Miss Jenkins. What kind of romance were you looking for? Oh, one we a cover on you can, and with pages we all wordies on them, said the figure. Miss Jenkins, who was used to this sort of thing, disappeared into the gloom at the other end of the wagon. This scunners a total lunis, said a new voice. It appeared to come from somewhere on the person of the dark book borrower, but much lower than the head. Pardon? said Mr. Swinsley. Ach, nay problemo, said the figure quickly. I'm suffering from a grumbling knee. Tis an old trouble. Why don't they be burning all dem books, eh? The unseen knee grumbled. Sorry about this. You know how knees can let a man doon in public. I'm a matter to this one, said the stranger. Ah, I, I know how it is. My elbow acts up in wet weather, said Mr. Swinsley. There was some sort of fight going on in the nether regions of the stranger, who was shaking like a puppet. That will be one penny. Miss Jenkins said, and I will need your name and address. The dark figure shuddered. Oh, I, uh, we nag give out your name and address, it said quickly. It is against your religion, you can. Uh, I dinna want to be a knee about this, but why is you all here freezing to death? Ah, oxen wandered off, and alas, the snow's too deep to walk through, said Mr. Swinsley. Aye. "'But you's have got a stove and all them dry old books,' said the dark figure. "'Yes, it, we know,' said the librarian, looking puzzled. "'There was the kind of wretched pause you get when two people aren't going to understand each other's point of view at all. "'Then—' "'Tell you what, me and my knee will go and fetch your cows for you, eh?' said the mysterious figure. "'Got to be worth a penny, eh? Big Yan, you'll feel the rough side of my hand in a minute.' The figure dropped out of sight. Snow flew up in the moonlight. For a moment it sounded as if a scuffle were going on, 
and then a sound like Crivens disappearing into the distance. The librarians were about to shut the door when they heard the terrified bellows of the oxen getting louder very quickly. Two curling waves of snow came across the glittering moors. The creatures rode them like surfers yelling at the moon. The snow settled down a few feet away from the wagon. There was a blue and red blur in the air, and the romantic book was whisked away. But what was really odd, the librarians agreed, was that when the oxen had come speeding toward them, they had appeared to be travelling backward. It was hard to be embarrassed by Nanny Og because her laugh drove embarrassment away. She wasn't embarrassed about anything. Today Tiffany, with extra pairs of socks on to avoid unfortunate floral incidents, went with her around the houses, as it was known to witches. "'You did this from a treason?' asked Nanny as they stepped out. There were big fat clouds massing around the mountains. There would be a lot more snow tonight. "'Oh, yes, and for Miss Level and Miss Pullunder.' "'Enjoyed it, did you?' said Nanny, wrapping her cloak around her. "'Sometimes. I mean, I know why we do it, but sometimes you get fed up with people being stupid. I quite like doing the medicine stuff. Good with the herbs, are you? No, I'm very good with the herbs. Oh, there is a bit of swank, eh?' said Nanny. "'If I didn't know I was good with herbs, I'd be stupid, Mrs. Hogg. "'That's right. Good. It's good to be good at something. "'Now, our next little favour is giving an old lady a bath, "'as much as was possible with a couple of tin basins and some washcloths. "'And that was witchcraft. "'Then they looked in on a woman who just had a baby, and that was witchcraft. "'And a man with a very nasty leg injury that Nanny Og said was doing very well, "'and that was witchcraft too.' And then, in an out-of-the-way group of huddled little cottages, they climbed the cramped wooden stairs to a tiny little bedroom where an old man shot at them with a crossbow. "'You old devil, ain't you dead yet?' said Nanny. "'You're looking well. I swear the man with the scythe must have forgotten where you live.' "'I'm a-waiting for him, Mrs. Og,' said the old man cheerfully. "'If I'm gonna go, I'll take him with me.' "'This is my girl Tiff. She's learning the witching,' said Nanny, raising her voice. "'This is Mr. Hogparsley Tiff.' Tiff? She snapped her fingers in front of Tiffany's eyes. Huh? said Tiffany. She was still staring in horror. The twang of the bow as Nanny opened the door had been bad enough, but for a fraction of a second she could have sworn that an arrow had gone right through Nanny Og and stuck in the door frame. Shame on you for firing at a young lady, Bill, said Nanny severely, plumping up his pillows. And Mrs. Dowser says you've been shooting at her when she comes up to see you, she added, putting her basket down by the bed. That's no way to treat the respectable woman who brings you your meals, is it? For shame. Sorry, Nanny, muttered Mr. Hogparsley. It's just that she's as skinny as a rake and wears black. Tis an easy mistake to make in poor light. Mr. Hogparsley here is lying in wait for death, Tiff, said Nanny. Mistress Weatherwax helped you make the special traps and arrows, ain't that right, Bill? Traps, whispered Tiffany. Nanny just nudged her and pointed down. The floorboards were covered in ferociously spiked man-traps. They were all drawn in charcoal. "'I said, isn't that right, Bill?' Nanny repeated, raising her voice. "'She helped you with the traps?' "'She did that,' said Mr. Hogparsley. "'Ah, I wouldn't want to get on the wrong side of her.' "'Right, so no shooting arrows at anyone except death, right? "'Otherwise Mistress Weatherwax won't make you any more,' said Nanny putting a bottle on the old wooden box that was Mr. Hogparsley's bedside table. "'Here's some of your jollop, freshly mixed up. "'Where did she tell you to keep the pain? 
It's sitting up here on my shoulder, missus, being no trouble. Nanny touched the shoulder and seemed to think for a moment. It's a brown and right squiggle, sort of oblong. That's right, missus, said Mr. Hogg Parsley, pulling up the cork on the bottle. It wiggles away there and I laughs at it. The cork popped out. Suddenly the room smelled of apples. It's getting big, said Nanny. Mistress Weatherwax will be along tonight to take it away. Right you are, missus, said the old man, filling a mug to the brim. Try not to shoot her all right. It only makes her mad. It was snowing again when they stepped out of the cottage, big feathery flakes that meant business. I reckon that's it for today, Nanny announced. I've got things to see to over in Slice, but we'll take the stick tomorrow. That arrow he fired at us, said Tiffany. Imaginary, said Nanny Og, smiling. It looked real for a moment. Nanny Og chuckled. It's amazing what Esme Weatherwax can make people imagine. Like traps for death. Oh, yes. Well, it gives the old boy an interest in life. He's on his way to the door, but at least Esme's seen to it that there's no pain. Because it's floating over his shoulder, said Tiffany. Yep. She put it just outside his body for him so it don't hurt, said Nanny, the snow crunching under her feet. I didn't know you could do that. I can do it for small stuff, toothaches and the like. Esme's the champion for it, though. We're none of us too proud to call her in. You know, she's very good at people. Funny, really, because she doesn't like them much. Tiffany glanced at the sky, and Nanny was the kind of inconvenient person who notices everything. Wondering if lover boy is going to drop in, she said with a big grin. Nanny, really? But you are, aren't you? said Nanny, who knew no shame. Of course, he's always around when you think about it. You're walking through him. You feel him on your skin. You stamp him off your boots when you go indoors. Just don't talk like that, please, said Tiffany. Besides, what's time to an elemental? Nanny chattered. And I suppose snowflakes don't just make themselves, especially when you've got to get the arms and legs right. She's looking at me out the corner of her eye to see if I'm going red, Tiffany thought. I know it. Then Nanny nudged her in the ribs and laughed one of her laughs that would make a rock blush. Good for you, she said. I've had a few boyfriends myself I'd have loved to stamp off my boots. Tiffany was just getting ready for bed that night when she found a book under her pillow. The title, in fiery red letters, was Passion's Plaything by Marjorie J. Bodice, and in smaller print were the words, Gods and men said their love was not to be, but they would not listen. A tortured tale of a tempestuous romance by the author of Sundered Hearts. The cover showed, up close, a young woman with dark hair and clothes that were a bit on the skimpy side in Tiffany's opinion, both hair and clothes blowing in the wind. She looked desperately determined and also a bit chilly. A young man on a horse was watching her some distance away. It appeared that a thunderstorm was blowing up. Strange. There was a library stamp inside, and Nanny didn't use the library. Well, it wouldn't hurt to read a bit before blowing the candle out. Tiffany turned to page one and then to page two. When she got to page nineteen, she went and fetched the unexpurgated dictionary. She had older sisters, and she knew some of this, she told herself, but Marjorie J. Bodice had got some things laughably wrong. Girls on the chalk didn't often run away from a young man who was rich enough to own his own horse, or not for long, and not without giving him a chance to catch up. And Megs, the heroine of the book, clearly didn't know a thing about farming, no young man would be interested in a woman who couldn't dose a cow or carry a piglet. What kind of help would she be around the place? Standing around with lips like cherries wouldn't get the cows milked or the sheep sheared. 
And that was another thing. Did Marjorie J. Bodice know anything about sheep? This was a sheep farm in the summertime, wasn't it? So when did they shear the sheep? The second most important occasion in a sheep farm's year, and it wasn't worth mentioning. Of course, they might have a breed like Habakkuk Poles or Lowland Cobbleworths that didn't need shearing, but these were rare and any sensible author would surely have mentioned it. And the scene in chapter 5, where Megs left the sheep to fend for themselves while she went gathering nuts with Roger, well, how stupid was that? They could have wandered anywhere, and they were really stupid to think they'd find nuts in June. She read on a bit further and thought, Oh, I see. <clears throat> ah, not nuts at all then. On the chalk, that sort of thing was called looking for cuckoo nests. She stopped there to go downstairs to fetch a fresh candle, got back into bed, let her feet warm up again, and went on reading. Should Megs marry sulky, dark-eyed William, who already owned two and a half cows, or should she be swayed by Roger, who called her my proud beauty, but was clearly a bad man because he rode a black stallion and had a moustache? Why did she think she had to marry either of them, Tiffany wondered. Anyway, she spent too much time leaning meaningfully against things and pouting. Wasn't anyone doing any work? And if she always dressed like that, she'd catch a chill. It was amazing what those men put up with, but it made you think. She blew out the candle and sank gently under the eiderdown, which was as white as snow. Snow covered the chalk. It fell around the sheep, making them look a dirty yellow. It covered the stars, but glowed by its own light. It stuck to the windows of the cottages, blotting out the orange candlelight. But it would never cover the castle. The castle stood on a mound a little way from the village, a tower of stone ruling all those thatched homes. They looked as if they had grown from the land, but the castle nailed it down. It said, I own. In his room, Roland wrote carefully. He ignored the hammering from outside. Anagramma, Petulia, Miss Treason, Tiffany's letters were full of faraway people with strange-sounding names. Sometimes he tried to imagine them and wondered if she was making them up. The whole witchcraft business seemed, well, not as advertised. It seemed like, Do you hear this, you wicked boy? Aunt Danuta sounded triumphant. Now it's barred from this side too. Ah, this is for your own good, you know. You will stay in there until you are ready to apologise. Like hard work, to be honest. Worthy, though, visiting the sick and everything, but very busy and not very magical. He'd heard of dancing around without your drawers on and tried his best not to imagine it. But in any case, there didn't seem to be anything like that. Even broomstick rides sounded, And we know about your secret passage now. Oh, yes, it's being walled up. No more thumbing your nose at people who are doing their very best for you. Dull. He paused for a moment, staring blankly at the carefully stacked piles of loaves and sausages besides his bed. I ought to get some onions tonight, he thought. General Tacticus says they are unsurpassable for the proper operation of the digestive system if you can't find fresh fruit. What to write, what to write. Yes, he'd tell her about the party. He'd only gone because his father, in one of his good moments, had asked him to. 
It was important to keep in with the neighbours, but not with the relatives. It had been quite nice to get out, and he'd been able to leave his horse at Mr. Gamely's stable, where the aunts wouldn't think of looking for it. Yes, she'd enjoy hearing about the party. The aunts were shouting again about locking the door to his father's room, and they were blocking the secret passage. That meant that all he was left with was the loose stone that came out behind the tapestry in the next room, the wobbly flagstone that could let him drop down into the room below, and, of course, the chain outside the window that let him climb all the way down to the ground. And on his desk, on top of General Tacticus's book, was a complete set of shiny new castle keys. He'd got Mr. Gamely to make them for him. The blacksmith was a thoughtful man who could see the sense in being friendly to the next baron. He could come and go as he liked, whatever they did. They could bully his father, they could shout all they pleased, but they would never own him. You could learn a lot from books. The wintersmith was learning. It was a hard, slow task when you had to make your brain out of ice. But he had learned about snowmen. They were built by the smaller kinds of humans. That was interesting. Apart from the ones in pointy hats, the bigger humans didn't seem to hear him. They knew invisible creatures didn't speak to them out of the air. The small ones, though, hadn't found out what was impossible. In the big city was a big snowman. Actually, it would be more honest to call it a slush man. Technically it was snow, but by the time it had spiralled down through the big city's fogs, smogs and smokes, it was already a sort of yellowish-grey. And then most of what ended up on the pavement was what had been thrown up from the gutter by cartwheels. It was, at best, a mostly snowman. But three grubby children were building it anyway, because building something that you could call a snowman was what you did, even if it was yellow. They'd done their best with what they could find, and had given him two horse droppings for eyes and a dead rat for a nose. At which point the snowman spoke to them in their heads. Small humans, why do you do that? The boy, who might have been the older boy, looked at the girl, who might have been the older girl. I'll tell you I heard that if you say you heard it too, he said. The girl was still young enough not to think snowmen can't talk when one of them had just spoken to her, so she said to it, You have to put them in to make you a snowman, mister. Does that make me human? No, cause, she hesitated. You ain't got innards, said the third and smallest child, who might have been the younger boy or the younger girl, but who was spherical with so many layers of clothing that it was quite impossible to tell. It did have a pink woolly hat with a bobble on it, but that didn't mean anything. Someone did care about it, though, because they'd embroidered R and L on its mittens. F and B on the front and back of its coat, T on top of the bobble hat, and probably U on the underside of its rubber boots. That meant that while you couldn't know what it was, you could be certain it was the right way up and which way it was facing. A cart went by, throwing up another wave of slush. Innards, said the secret voice of the snowman, made of special dust, yes, but what dust? Iron, said the possibly older boy promptly. Enough iron to make a nail. Oh, yeah, that's right, that's how it goes, said the possibly older girl. We used to skip to it. Um, iron enough to make a nail, water enough to drown a cow. A dog, said the possibly older boy. It's water enough to drown a dog, sulphur enough to stop the fleas. It's poison enough to kill a cow. What is this? the wintersmith asked. It's like an old song, said the possibly older boy. More like a sort of poem. Everyone knows it, said the possibly older girl. 
It's called, These are the things that make a man, said the child who was the right way up. Tell me the rest of it, the wintersmith demanded, and on the freezing pavement they did, as much as they knew. When they'd finished, the possibly older boy said hopefully, Is there any chance you can take us flying? No, said the wintersmith. I have things to find, things that make a man. One afternoon, when the sky was growing cold, there was a frantic knocking on Nanny's door. It turned out to be caused by Anagramma, who almost fell into the room. She looked terrible, and her teeth were chattering. Nanny and Tiffany stood her by the fire, but she started talking before her teeth had warmed up. Skulls, she managed. Oh dear, thought Tiffany. What about them, she said, as Nanny Og hurried in from the kitchen with a hot drink. Me, 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 reason, skulls. Yes, what about them? Anagramma took a swig from the mug. What did you do with them? she gasped, Coco dribbling down her chin. Buried them. Oh no, why? They were skulls. You can't just leave skulls lying about. Anagramma looked around wildly. Can you lend me a shovel, then? Anagramma, you can't dig up Miss Treason's grave. But I need some skulls, Anagramma insisted. The people there, well, it's like the olden days. I whitewashed that place with my own hands. Have you any idea how long it takes to whitewash over black? They complained. They won't have anything to do with crystal therapy. They just frown and say Miss Treason gave them sticky black medicine that tasted horrible but worked. And they keep on asking me to sort out stupid little problems, and I don't have a clue what they're about. And this morning there was this old man who's dead, and I've got to lay him out and sit up with him tonight. Well, I mean, that's so... yuck. Tiffany glanced at Nanny Og, who was sitting in her chair and puffing gently on her pipe. Her eyes were gleaming. When she saw Tiffany's expression, she winked and said, I'll leave you girls to have a little chat, shall I? Yes, please, Nanny. And please don't listen at the door. To a private conversation? The very idea, said Nanny, and went into the kitchen. Will she listen? whispered Anagramma. I'll just die if Mistress Weatherwax finds out. Tiffany sighed. Did Anagramma know anything? Of course she'll listen, she said. She's a witch. But she said she wouldn't. She'll listen, but she'll pretend that she hasn't, and she won't tell anyone, said Tiffany. It's her cottage after all. Anagramma looked desperate. And on Tuesday, I've probably got to go and deliver a baby out in some valley somewhere. An old woman came and gabbled at me about it. That'll be Mrs. Owlslick, said Tiffany. I did leave some notes, you know. Didn't you read them? I think perhaps Mrs. Earwig tidied them away, Anagramma said. You should have looked at them. It took me an hour to write them all down, said Tiffany reproachfully. Three pieces of paper. Look, calm down, will you? Didn't you learn anything about midwifery? Mrs. Earwig said giving birth is a natural action and nature should be allowed to take its course, said Anagramma, and Tiffany was sure she heard a snort from behind the kitchen door. I know a soothing chant, though. Well, I expect that will be a help, said Tiffany weakly. Mrs. Earwig said the village women know what to do, said Anagramma hopefully. She says to trust in their peasant wisdom. Well, Mrs. Obble was the old woman who called, and she has just got simple peasant ignorance, said Tiffany. She puts leaf mould on wounds if you don't watch her. Look, just because a woman's got no teeth doesn't mean she's wise. It might just mean she's been stupid for a very long time. Don't let her anywhere near Mrs. Owlslick until after the baby. It's not going to be an easy birth as it is. Well, I, I know plenty of spells that would help, 
No, no magic. Only to take away pain. Surely you know that. Yes, but Mrs. Earwig says, why don't you go and ask Mrs. Earwig to help you then? Anagramma stared at Tiffany. That sentence had come out a bit louder than intended, and then Anagramma's face slid into what she probably thought was a friendly expression. It made her look slightly mad. Hey, I've got a great idea, she said, as bright as a crystal that was about to shatter. Why don't you come back to the cottage and work for me? No, I've got other work to do. But you're so good at the messy stuff, Tiffany, said Anagramma in a syrupy voice. It seems to come naturally to you. I started at the lambing when I was small, that's why. Small hands can get inside and untangle things. And now Anagramma had that hunted look that she got when she was dealing with anything she didn't immediately understand. Inside the sheep? You mean up its... Yes, of course. Untangle things? Sometimes the lambs try to get born backward, said Tiffany. Backward? muttered Anagramma weakly. And it can be worse if there's twins. Twins? Then Anagramma said, as if spotting the floor. But look, I've seen lots of pictures of shepherds and sheep, and there's never anything like that. I thought it was all just standing around and watching the sheep eat grass. There were times when you could feel that the world would be a better place if Anagramma got the occasional slap around the ear. The silly, unthinking insults, her huge lack of interest in anyone other than herself, the way she treated everyone as if they were slightly deaf and a bit stupid. It could make your blood boil. But you put up with it, because every once in a while you saw through it all. Inside there was this worried, frantic little face, watching the world like a bunny watching a fox, and screaming at it in the hope that it would go away and not hurt her. And a meeting of witches, who were supposed to be clever, had handed her this steading that would be a hard job for anyone. It didn't make sense. No. It didn't make sense. It only happens when there's a difficult lambing, said Tiffany, while her mind raced. And that means it's out in the dark and the cold and the rain. Artists never seem to be around then. It's amazing. Why are you looking at me like that? said Anagramma. Like I'm not here? Tiffany blinked. All right, she thought. How am I supposed to deal with this? Look. I'll come and help you with the laying out, she said, as calmly as she could manage and I expect I can help with Mrs. Owlslick, or ask Petulia, she's good, but you'll have to do the watching by yourself. Sitting up all night with a dead person, said Anagramma, and shivered. You can take a book to read, said Tiffany. I suppose I could draw a circle of protection around the chair, Anagramma muttered. No, said Tiffany, no magic. Mrs. Earwig must have told you this. But a circle of protection, it draws attention. Something might turn up to see why it's there. Don't worry, it's just to make the old people happy. Uh, when you say something might turn up, Anagramma began. Tiffany sighed. All right, I'll sit up with you just this once, she said. Anagramma beamed. And as for skulls, said Tiffany, just wait a moment. She went upstairs and got the boffo catalogue, which she'd hidden in her old suitcase. She came back with it carefully rolled up and handed it over. Don't look at it now, she said. Wait until you're alone. You might find it gives you ideas. OK, I'll come and meet you around seven tonight. When Anagramma had gone, Tiffany sat and counted under her breath. When she'd got to five, Nanny Og came and vigorously dusted a few ornaments before saying, Oh, has your little friend gone? Do you think I'm being silly? said Tiffany. Nanny stopped pretending to do housework. 
I don't know what you're talking about, not having listened, she said. But if I had been listening, I think you won't get any thanks, that's what I'd think. Granny shouldn't have meddled, said Tiffany. Shouldn't have, eh? said Nanny, her face blank. I'm not stupid, Nanny, said Tiffany. I've worked it out. Worked it out, have you? There's a clever girl, said Nanny Og, sitting down in her chair. And what is it you've worked out, then? This was going to get difficult. Nanny was usually cheerful all the time, but when she went solemn, like she was now, it could make you nervous. But Tiffany pressed on. I couldn't take on a cottage, she said. Oh, I can do most of the everyday stuff, but you need to be older to run a steading. There's things people won't tell you if you're thirteen, hat or not. But Granny put it about that she was suggesting me, and so everyone saw it as a contest between me and Anagramma, right? And they chose her because she's older and sounds really competent. And now it's all falling apart. It's not her fault she was taught magic instead of witchcraft. Granny just wants her to fail so that everyone will know that Mrs. Earwig is a bad teacher, and I don't think that's good. I wouldn't be too quick to decide what it is Esme Weatherax wants if I was you, said Nanny Og. I won't say a word, mind you. You go off and help your friend if you want. But you've still got to work for me, OK? That's only fair. How's the feet? They feel fine, Nanny. Thank you for asking. 